Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza. We've got Andy Barons joining us today. I am going to read what our pod producer wrote in the outline because I would never think to say this in the first person, but he did write, which I think is humorous, and shout out to Brett. <laughs> Two titans of the industry unite in the arena of the podcast metaverse like Godzilla and King Kong. Who are you, Zilla or Kong? Oh man, that's a, that's a, actually a, a good question that I was hardly prepared for. Um, I was a big I was a big Kong fan when I was a little kid, so I guess I'll I'll tilt uh, to King Kong. Nothing against Godzilla, got nothing but respect for Godzilla, but I'll but I'll, I'll go King Kong here. Okay, so you get to be like the nice one with a heart of gold that likes children, and I am meanwhile the cold hearted reptilian monster. <laughs> no, Godzilla wasn't always a cold-hearted reptilian monster. Although, like, you, perhaps you have not seen the the most recent Godzilla oh, releases. Girl, I saw them all. Okay, <laughs> the level of like death and property damage in those films is just is amazing to me. Like all of Las Vegas, all of Honolulu, all of like how many major world cities have to be destroyed in those films. It's really something. I love that you mentioned the property damage though, because I thought the same thing and you know, you're an adult when you're like, Oh, that's going to cost a lot to replace. Like, yeah, yeah. You're watching it and you're thinking, well, we're all going to have to pay for that. Aren't we? That's yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I thought the last one was a mega bust, but uh, it entertained me for whatever the, no, it didn't. It entertained me for about 30 minutes. And then the other 60 minutes, I was like, well, how the jumps of the suspension of disbelief is just massive here, but all right, I'm already in. Yeah. It's a bit much. I'll give you that. If we're going to talk about suspension of disbelief, it looks like Tom Brady <laughs> could not believe that any team did not want his services one of the few news tidbits that has blessed our timelines over the past few days was Tom Brady's comments from the shop. And he said, in reference to uh, one of the teams that ended up not wanting him in free agency, he couldn't believe that they were sticking with that M bleeper. I was thinking, you're sticking with that mother. <laughs> and if we are going to read between the tea leaves, which by, which by the way, are, are not particularly vast here. Like we know that the Chargers, the 49ers and the Buccaneers were the three teams most interested in the end um, of that free agency period. Jimmy G is the front runner for this comment. No. Oh yeah, absolutely. Way to keep it all ages there, by the way, with the M bleeper. I appreciate that. 
Yeah, it's it's it almost certainly has to be has to be Jimmy G and the Niners. My initial reaction as soon as I heard it was, oh, man, please don't be the Bears. That's a bad look. Um, and I just I just don't want to think about them being that close and then saying, nah, we're going to we're going to skip it. We're just going to run it back with with Mitch and Foles. It would have been a perfectly sensible comment uh, regarding the Bears quarterback situation. But like, I don't know, man, coming off the coming off of that Super Bowl that Jimmy had just had, right? A bunch of misfires late in the game, um, a horrendous overthrow that could have obviously, cha- you know, in part changed NFL history, right? Um, you know, it was, it was a terrible game. So, like, it's it's kind of fitting. The Niners are, of course, probably not going to run it back with Jimmy G again this year. But, like, I get it. It's And Brady's from... He's from like San Mateo or something mm-hmm. like that too, right? So you can you can certainly imagine that that was his first choice. I mean, he made a great choice. Like uh, the the Buccaneers situation was about as as good as it gets in terms of uh, skill positions around him, uh, defense behind him. Like great situation, obviously. But San Francisco ostensibly would have been as well. You can't predict the zillion different injuries that were going to hit them last year. Sure. I mean, that would have looked like a, like a really ripe situation. Obviously they'd just been to a Super Bowl. I get it. I get it. One of the, like how, how weird and, and frustrating is it that Tom Brady has just become inarguably likable in the, in the, <laughs> the close of his career, right? Like between what he's doing on social media and yeah. comments like this. I mean, I, I also think I, this, particular- I didn't mean to like him. Well, I know. Yeah, sure. But I, I also think this particular comment only adds to the myth of his existence because obviously the storyline was like, look at Tom Brady winning Super Bowls without Bill Belichick. But also knowing this backstory, he just beat the team that Jimmy G could not beat one year prior. Yeah. So it's like an additional bleep to Kyle Shanahan and Bill Belichick. And now, I mean, are the late great Therese Paler used to say that Tom Brady is a note taker and we didn't even know he took this note. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like it's so easy to imagine him watching that Super Bowl just aghast at at the throws that Jimmy was missing too, right? Cuz I I mean, I don't need to remind Niners fans that that was a very winnable game, an extremely winnable game. It was, you know, you hit the throws that you're supposed to hit and it's one. It's over. So, um I I can only imagine how agonizing that had to be for for Brady to watch it. Um, if you're, again, here's Andy, you're just setting me up. Like this is a perfect, I would say this might be sons like in assists. You watched the game last night. (laughs) Another fantastic one from you. I'm not comparing myself guys. Everybody calm down. Um, but if we're talking about agony, the waffle guy, Lee Sanderlin, the fine young man from (laughs) Mississippi who lost his fantasy league tweeted his agony upon uh, completing his fantasy punishment, which was uh, handed out because he came in last place and he was required to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House. Have you ever been to a Waffle House? I have been to a Waffle House. I'm sure that I have not ever spent more than 75 minutes uh, in, in any one sitting in a Waffle House. And it's it's hard to imagine 25. I realize he didn't have to spend the, the entire 24 hours there, but I can hardly imagine spending more than 90 minutes in a Waffle House. I mean, I think he should have spent 48 hours because he didn't play on the better platform. <laughs> but that's beside the point. He did have one hour a very good point. deducted for every waffle consumed. Uh, and the final tally was nine waffles, 15 hours, and unofficially eight years shaved off his young life. <laughs> 
that is that is probably the outer limit of what I think I could consume waffle wise in a 24 hour period. Like it, it's that's what it strikes me as one of those things that probably sounds easy, but by the by the fourth waffle, um, even you know, even if you take a nice break, even if you knock out like three waffles in the morning, and then you're thinking, <laughs> okay, but like two hours down the road, three hours down the road, I'm going to be ready for three more waffles. I bet that fourth waffle is a is is quite a challenge, and by the time you're at five or six, I bet it's just I bet it's just nothing but horrors. I, I thought about two things while reading the story. Number one, can you imagine Dalton Del Don in this situation? You as the person who eats Dalton's <laughs> leftovers regularly. This is, this is true. Every every <laughs> corporate function that we've had, every like team building exercise that Yahoo has done in the Dalton Del Don era, <laughs> every time the, the, the crew has been out to eat, I have to finish whatever is on Dalton's plate. He always talks a big game. Oh yeah, I'm getting the you know I'm getting this mega steak. I'm getting everything and on the, the breakfast menu. Cake. And then, and the, yes, and then it just and then it just all comes down to me. Just he knows that I'm the I'm the closer oh on everything. I, like what? Who's finishing Dalton's meals? Like when I'm not around? I don't know. I mean, I, I, he's got toddlers, like I, I or a toddler. Um, I I don't know, but I definitely thought about him because I was like, man, what would he do without Andy? There'd be like, dude, just give me give me the fork. I'll finish it for you. Go away. The other thing I thought though, when I was reading the thread of tweets, was like, you know, this guy. I'm gonna assume he doesn't have uh, a spouse or a partner or children. Because I feel like I definitely would have been like, all right, well, there's something to organize in here. Like, let me get in that food pantry. You have a label maker. I'm sure your lemon wedges need some <laughs> repurposing. Like, what about, have you married all the ketchups right now? How about the salt and pepper shakers? Can we fill those? Like, I just can't imagine being in a new space and not starting to tidy it as a way to uh, pass the time. So by like the second hour, you're just taking ownership of that waffle oh, house. Sure. You're like, this have is my waffle me? house yeah. and it is... Yeah, it is. It is going to reflect the fact that that Liz Lozo spent twenty four hours here. I like. I appreciate. Could have that. had like a Coyote Ugly remake starring just me on the counter with the with some cinnamon buns instead <laughs> of martini shakers. Mm. Anyway, um, what was the what was the worst fantasy punishment that you've ever heard of or maybe even seen? Yeah, I. Like I see a lot that are that are like you know you have to get a tattoo you have to do this you have to do that the 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 stuff that always gets me, it's kind of like this one where there's like a real time component to it, where it's, it's not just, you know, it's not just something you knock out in an hour and something that, that is mildly embarrassing to you for a brief period of time. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I know of a couple leagues where people have to take either the ACT or the SAT oh. and share their results with the entire league um, when upon completion, right? So not only are you signing up for like a four hour test, but there's, there's an element of, you know, how much, how much does, does pride kind of mess with you there, right? Like, do you, like, is it okay with you to just show up and totally bomb the SAT? Like, I don't know that I could do that. Maybe that's the right thing to do. Maybe, maybe you're somehow helping the population of college bound students by doing that. I have no idea, but like, I don't think I could just show up and not know anything. I would have to review some of the, some of the key, you know, the, the math formulas and the, you know, whatever, I would just have to prep for it at some level. And now we're talking about like a few hours in prep time, a few hours in test time. That's like a Saturday that I'm going to lose. Um, and then I still have to share my, my crappy results with the rest of the league like that. That just seems like an absolutely excruciating, horrible punishment. I think that is pretty bad. I mean, I remember doing that in real time. Do you remember what you got on the ACT? 
Not the SAT. I, they changed the scoring. But yeah, I think I, I think I got a thirty on the ACT. I was, I, I was super, I was super hungover. I, <laughs> I hate you, I, Andy. I hate I remember you. Like, a, I remember a profound hangover. You first of My, all, you were six, six, sixteen or seventeen. So, yeah. That, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right. Asterisk that. If if we're look if we're reviewing math equations, the math on that doesn't add up wholly, but then again, it does. It also is so antithetical to everything about Andy Barron's. Like, you know, Andy's going to review. You know, he's like cramming that. He went to Crown Books and got the Kaplan Study Guide. Crown Books, how's that for a Midwestern old school? Right? <laughs> um, he got the Kaplan Study Guide. But also, that's grown up, Andy. I love teenage Andy who went over hungover and still managed a 30. This is so, Andy, you're so damn smart and put together, even when you're not. My my daughter beat that. My daughter beat that pretty handily, I think. Well, let me tell you. She was not hungover, though. She what? She was not hungover, though. No, not that that you're aware of. (laughs) I definitely was not hungover. She did not appear hungover. I was, I was, if anything, I was... So I was hung over on anxiety, which is probably also not shocking to anybody, on anxiety and neuroses and barely pulled a 27. But you know what? It, it worked out. Okay. It was fine. Yeah. The fantasy punishment, that would be so horrible. I'm just sitting in The fantasy punishment that I saw that I think was the worst, and it, it is related to a tattoo. Maybe it's because I don't have tattoos. I understand what you're saying about the time killer, but it wasn't just the fact that this person had to receive a tattoo. But it was the specificity of that tattoo. It was a Tim Tebow tattoo, and it was a centaur, <laughs> which is different than a minotaur. A minotaur is the half bull, <laughs> bull head, human body. A centaur is the, it was the torso and face of a man, in this case, the likeness of Tim Tebow, and then the body and wow. back end of a horse. I also am fascinated. I, I feel like whoever figured this out really spent extra time on it because if you know anything about Greek mythology, the centaurs are usually accompanied by Dionysus, who is, you know, like the Greek god of wine and revelry, which does not seem to present a Tebow-esque vibe to it. No, so like, not at all. It's a very layered insult. on and And then to have like a Tim Tebow senator... And I think he also was wearing a Broncos helmet in the. And is it is it like is it a tattoo that is that is visible? Like you go to the beach, Bicep. people are definitely seeing. Bicep, your, oh yeah. wow! Yeah, yeah, that's brutal. Just just waking up every day to Tim Tebow on your arm seems uh, uh, unusual and cruel. Like that, I, I I will grant you a punishment that lasts for the rest of your life is uh, is, is particularly harsh. Rough. That's a it's that's rough. a rough one. Um, but you you seem to like the pain because you have invented a whole new strategy when drafting quarterbacks. Forget zero <laughs> RB and zero wide receiver. Our own Andy Barons is a true disruptor in Shark Tank style, creating <laughs> the zero QB strategy particularly suited for Superflex. I will now give you the floor so that you can give me your elevator pitch. On why it works. Yeah, no, it, it was, um, I should bring up the roster. It was just, obviously, it's a terrible idea, right? Um, zero QB and super flex is perhaps not the way to go, but I will tell you why I why I fell into it. I think there is actually a pretty valid reason why I fell into it. So this was a, 
this was a, a, a draft that was set up by our friends at uh, our friends at Razball, and they put together a, a really nice league. And the idea is that it's going to be a startup dynasty super flex league. So I don't have to nail everything in year one, right? Mm. Um, I don't have to knock everything out of the park. I just got to be kind of serviceable everywhere. And like in any sort of super flex draft, you, you're going to anticipate obviously that quarterbacks fly off the board early. I did not anticipate the rate at which they would fly off the board. Like, you know, I'm picking 10th and I want to say that the quarterbacks were already gone all the way down through Joe Burrow by the time I had a chance to pick any player. So like, that's tough. Um, So you have to make a choice immediately. And this is, I guess, the one little thing that uh, people can carry into their own drafts is that you can't, if you're picking near a turn like that, you can't, you can't just chase positions all draft, right? Like you can't just be taking, okay, I'm, I'm behind on the position run here. So I got to take the eighth or ninth best guy. And now I'm behind at a wide receiver. So I got to take the wide receiver 12 as my number one. And now I'm behind, now I've, I've skipped tight end entirely. So now I got to, I have to take the sixth best tight end in round four or something like that. Like you don't want to be constantly chasing. You have to, in any draft, you have to give yourself a strength somewhere. And so I have the literal worst quarterbacks in this, in this thing. Um, I was, and I was lucky to get them too. I was like, I was eyeing Daniel Jones, didn't get him, got basically, uh, got stuck with, uh, maybe not stuck with like one or both of them could have decent years, but I ended up with Sam Darnold and, uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, which is, which is clearly not ideal in any sort of super flex. Right. But the one thing I did give myself is a huge advantage at running back and at receiver. So I, I have some actual team strengths, right? My my running backs are really good. I off the top of my head, I want to say that it was Cam Akers and Najee Harris, and a, and a third who's not coming to me that that was maybe Antonio Gibson, like some combination that was really really good within the context of this league. And my receivers are like C.D. Lamb and Allen Robinson and Devontae Smith, and it's like a great group. So I can look at my running backs and receivers and say, okay, well I got I got those things right. I have an actual relative to the rest of this league. I have I have two clear strengths and that might not be enough in a super flex league where my quarterbacks are probably terrible. But but again, you can't you know, just because you're picking 10th, 11th, 12th, you can't give yourself, you know, the 10th best set of running backs and the 10th best set of wide receivers and the 10th best because like even if I had chased quarterbacks early you know, now I'm talking about like, I don't know, what would I have ended up with? Trevor Lawrence and Kirk Cousins, right? So I've spent my first two picks at the quarterback position or two of my first three picks at the quarterback position. I still have nearly the worst quarterbacks in the league, right? Because I'm not, I got, I had no shot at Mahomes. I had no shot at any of the top five or six guys that we all expect to contend for like actual MVP honors or anything like that. Like I I was out on him. So are are you going to, you know, am I going to be the guy who takes Tua in the third round? Because that's where he went. Like he he won the third round, you know, like Kirk Cousins and Tua, those guys are gone by the third or fourth round. So it wasn't a situation where I could just, you know, where I could just fall into a pretty good quarterback situation late. Yeah. So I, I just went all in. Like I, I could see where the thing was headed pretty early. And I was I was uh, messaging Dalton throughout the draft, actually, like <laughs> and making him, you know, he, he was kind of egging me on to go deeper and deeper and later and later at quarterback. And eventually I did. And that's how you fall into Sam Darnold and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And at least I don't I don't hate Fitzpatrick this season. I'm not I'm not sure I can fully talk myself into Sam Darnold, but I certainly don't hate Fitzpatrick. Okay, so first of all, I don't I don't feel like it's that bad. If it's if Fitzpatrick were your QB two, you'd be pretty happy with that, right? He's a top twenty. We all yes, have him. Yeah. Yahoo consensus ranked inside the top twenty. The worry is that 
he's not going to stay on the field the whole time, right? And you're going to see some Tyler, some some Heineke in there. Like that that's the fear. But over the last four seasons, at least, I think Fitzpatrick has done a good job of bucking the narrative that he's horrible. The highs are obviously very high and the lows are very low, but he's been a top 10 fantasy producer in over 50% of his last 30 starts, which have occurred over the last four years with a minimum of 25 attempts. So I, I'm a little bullish on Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he's my QB 17, you know, and if we're talking about the top 12 guys as being kind of automatic, like that glut of in between, there's a lot of variants that could happen. They're sort of all possible high-end QB twos in that mid space. You can't argue, you can't argue with his receiving core either, right? Like no. the the downside to Fitzpatrick in this league is that it's dynasty and like, am I going to have Ryan ah, Fitzpatrick right. in three years? No, of course I no. won't. Um, but for like for the current season, can I imagine him finishing? You know, a couple of injuries happen and he has a couple big games, and pretty soon he's a top twelve fantasy quarterback. Like that's really easy to imagine. Yeah, that's a possibility. And Darnold, let's talk. You know, I have like <laughs> it's it's difficult for me because I do have a particular fondness for Sam. That's that's what I call him. And I, I know that ripping off 29 interceptable passes in 12 games is not a recipe for success. But as a Bears fan, I also believe that the stink of Adam Gase is very real. And if I look at what Teddy Bridgewater, who went into last year with the ultimate game manager a moniker attached to him, right? Like that's the reputation in Joe Brady's system. He still put up QB 19 numbers. Again, that's not fantastic. But if Sam Darnold is your QB two and he finishes inside the top 20 and we know he has rapport with Robbie Anderson and he gets a fresh start and he too, if the argument for Fitz is that he has weapons, has this athletic mar- Marvel and more and Christian McCaffrey there as well. And a defense that's not, particularly good that's still pretty green even though it found a rhythm uh, about the midpoint of last season like I think that Sam Darnold could flirt with 4,000 passing yards I think he could flirt with 30 touchdowns I don't think that he is I don't think he is washed and I don't think that it is over for him in fact I might prefer to have Sam Darnold I'm talking myself into this which is why I'm pausing I might prefer to have Sam Darnold in Joe Brady's system than Daniel Jones, even with his weapons attached to Jason Garrett. Yeah, I think I, I think the only thing that differentiated those two is I I talked myself into Jones on the on the basis of there being a little bit of rushing upside there. I like the sure. weapons that he's got and all that. Um, but I like I'm 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 mostly with you on on Darnold. It is I I'd be shocked if he gets to 30 touchdown passes even in a 17 game season, but 4000 yards and like 24 25, I think that's very doable. The again the receiving core is good. Anderson is good. Moore is good. We we like Marshall. Um Christian McCaffrey stays healthy for a full season. That's that's like 80 to 100 catches in their cheap and easy yards for Sam Darnold, right? So I think I think 4000 yards is definitely in play. 30 touchdowns is a big number. For someone who's never approached it, that's probably the outer limit. Um, but can he go twenty-five and four thousand? I think that's definitely that. That's definitely uh, in the in the cards as long as he stays healthy. I said flirt with thirty because my projection is twenty-eight, but that's still more than twenty-five. Yeah, twenty-eight is twenty-eight is definitely flirting with thirty. That's fair. Uh, so anyway, I don't think you did nearly as bad, and I am fascinated by this approach. I wish I had coined it because I've accidentally done it in every single Wavos draft we've ever been a part of. <laughs> 
the other thing I did there is I took a I took a flyer. It's pretty late, and it's probably not going to pay off for a couple of years. But I but I I was conscious of getting like some rookie quarterbacks and young quarterbacks who might still do something. And I ended up with Kellen Mond there, which I which I think I tr- I tried to get Scott Fish to talk me into Kellen Mond, and he wasn't biting at all because obviously Kirk Cousins is still there yeah. through next season. But if it's a you know we're we're playing this thing out as a true dynasty, and I can sit on him for a couple of years. He's got a little bit of rushing upside. And we we don't know who's going to be throwing a Justin Jefferson in three years. So if he's that guy, then then he's pretty interesting, too. So I did take a handful of small flyers on those guys. What about Davis Mills? Did you uh, did he did he end up being drafted? I did. I, I believe uh, I believe that's another thing I ended up with. I might have. Did I get Tyrod? I, I might have done the the terrible Texans ah. double dip in that in that league too, and and given I, a bunch of best ball leagues are are blending together right now. So I'm not sure I did it there, <laughs> but I've definitely somewhere I've done I've done Mills and and Tyrod, which which seems like hell, right? Um, and probably isn't going to pay off. But Mills is such an unknown to me because like I saw enough late night Stanford games that sure. that I I know he can be brilliant and horrible in the in the same game sometimes within the same like 20 or 30 minute stretch like he's pretty wild it's pretty fun um and it and it might go well by the end of the season he's got some receivers too I'm interested to see what happens in Houston with that in fact earlier today I was tweaking my quarterback rankings and deciding where to place Mills and and Tyrod in relation also to Jimmy G and Trey Lance and Fields and Dalton um the ends, if I, I, it's a fan, it's a, I think, um, a curious, particularly for this time of year exercise for anybody who is like really wanting fantasy to come back and is missing it to go and look at all of the expert quarterback rankings. Cause when you get from like, well, oh, 27 to 37, cause there are, you can rank 37 quarterbacks. <laughs> like you can yeah. start to do that. You know, it, um, it, it gets pretty, I think some, I might even have 40 quarterbacks ranked because there are, question marks and not every team obviously is holding on-field OTAs which kind of further complicates some of these quarterback competitions yeah uh for for sure there's plenty of teams where you got to rank two guys right there's plenty of teams where it's it's completely conceivable that we're going to get you know six to eight games out of Cam Newton and then Mac Jones finishes the season uh you, you probably have to have all these all these presumptive week one starters in your ranks guys like Andy Dalton who are almost certainly not going to finish the season for their teams, but they're going to, but they're going to put up enough points to, to maybe crack the top 35. He's going to be on the field for the first two games. That's happening. Unless Aaron Donald completely trucks him in the opener. He's going to be <laughs> on the field because the second week is uh, versus Cincinnati. So I think he's got two in them for sure. We also talked about the premiere of my rest versus rust series for this year and I kicked it off with speaking of quarterbacks Dak Prescott uh how are you feeling about Prescott coming off of um the catastrophic pretty gruesome ankle injury yeah I feel great about him um and I I, I'm not just having having read your piece I'm not like that didn't that didn't dissuade me from drafting him one bit like I'm I'm into him um I, I see no reason why he can't I mean no, no quarterback is going to maintain the sort of pace that he was on last season, right? Like he was on pace not just to not just to get five thousand passing yards and not just to break the single season yardage record, but it, like he was on pace to crush it. He didn't even—I mean, he only needed barely over three hundred yards per game from that point through the rest of the season to to hit it, right? Like he was he was just on an absolutely insane pace. It was four hundred yards every game, and I don't know—he's not going to do that over the course of a full season, but his 
I mean, he's one through three. He, he probably has the best receiving core in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a he's got a back who, you know, if Zeke Elliott can give us one or two more seasons at something close to peak Zeke levels. Right. And there's a lot of hype around him right now. Um, that, that's a guy who's going to catch 70 passes and do a lot with it. And those are those are the same sort of cheap and easy yards we were talking about with McCaffrey. Um, so it's just a great situation for Dak. He was he was on fire last year. He's also like there's a there's a rushing element to his game, but it's sure. not like it's it's not like he like it's almost for a quarterback. It's almost the fan, for fantasy purposes. It's like the best kind of rushing element because he's not he's not going to run the ball 100 times a year. He's not going to put himself at undue risk as a rusher. He'll run the ball like 50 to 60 times. And he's going to run it when they get inside the five, like he's, you know, so he's going to finish the season with like five to seven rushing touchdowns, which mm. is a huge help in terms of fantasy, but he's also not exposing himself to the level of risk that we might see from Lamar Jackson, that we might see from Kyler Murray, players like that, who are going to, we're going to run the ball better, but much more frequently. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. I also just want to reiterate that Dak is not, you know, right now I feel like there's a lot of debate about whether or not injury prone is a myth. Or, or real, regardless, Dak has been a durable player for the bulk of his career. I mean, I think he only missed two games in college. He yeah. never missed a start as a pro. There was one game, I believe, against the Rams, if we're talking about Aaron Donald, where he went out with a, like a shoulder sprain and he didn't finish the game, but he came back the next week and, and that was it. So I, I'm not worried about him at all. There are some question marks along the offensive line. He obviously opens the season under very bright lights against the Super Bowl defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have arguably one of the top three defenses in the league. Um, we saw what they did to Patrick Mahomes. So I think there's going to be some rust to shake off maybe week one and week two. But everybody is also starting from an interesting place post-COVID plateau, of course, as well. If there's one thing that I that I can add, it's uh, – uh, forgive me, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the doctor that you speak to in the series. Dr. But, Weber. Who just made the, the, the critical point that, I mean, makes a lot of sense. We all know this, but it's a, like, it's a broken bone and there's a level of certainty with fractures that doesn't necessarily exist with the type of injury for the next player that we're going to talk about. Right. Like this isn't like connective tissue or anything like that. Like yeah. once a bone heals, it's healed. Yeah. He did make that point. Thank you for bringing it up that he said that fractures are, are better predictors for return to sport than, ligament tears and Saquon Barkley is the next player up in the series I've written three quarters of the article already it'll post on Thursday which is probably when you're listening to this we're recording on Wednesday um Saquon is tough you know I was uh, looking at a couple of polls on Twitter and the debate seems to be would you rather draft Saquon Barkley or Zeke Elliott and of course on the heels of Saquon releasing this ultimate hype video where he's cutting in the sand (laughs) everybody's hot for Saquads and it's happening (laughs) I'm um I have to admit I'm a little bit cautious still without giving away everything in the article I think part of the reason Saquon did so much damage was obviously his work in the receiving game and we've seen the number of pass catchers added to the offense. So his target share is going to go down a little bit, but I also don't think, and this is the big one, um, you're going to have to read the quote from the doctor, it would not behoove a team that drafted a player second overall, first time, by the way, last time that happened was Reggie Bush, so it's been a minute, 
to give him the sort of workload that they were giving him and risk a setback because something that the doctor revealed to me was that when you are coming back from a soft tissue or ligament issue, an early setback is not a small thing to overcome. And that could drastically change the long-term health of his career and knee. Yeah, it's a, you know, sometimes I feel like I, I see, and listen, nobody in the fantasy industry with few exceptions is like an actual medical expert. I, I feel like I've seen a number of people talk about ACL injuries as if it's um, like some sort of cosmetic procedure or something, right? And like everybody <laughs> just comes back, everybody just comes back fine. I don't think that's where we are. Um, and and I, your doctor may have had a different opinion about that, but it still seems to me that there's a range of outcomes here. There is a there is a, an elevated risk of re-injury that, that doesn't seem to exist with with fractures, with the type of injury that Dak is coming back from. Like, I still, you know, and, and hey, like Tommy John surgery has become, you know, no big deal in in Major League Baseball. Um, and that is that is certainly encouraging. But I don't know that we're there with ACL recoveries yet. And, and maybe that's my own experience with Derrick Rose. Maybe that's, you know. Just a couple of decades of of covering um, the NFL, right? And not everybody comes back to what they were. Jamal Charles certainly didn't come back to what he was again. That was like five years ago, four years ago, something like that. But it's it's not like everybody just comes back from an ACL injury and and they are exactly what they were. Plus, this seems like a pretty tight timeline to do it. But again, like but this is also one of those situations where the Adrian Peterson recovery just changed everybody's perspective. And that set the new standard that, that everybody holds seemingly every NFL player to now. And it's just utterly unrealistic. We've never seen that before. And we, we haven't, we haven't really seen it since in, in we terms also of ACL recovery. Don't know what his rehab. We don't know what Adrian Peterson's rehab process included or did not include. Yeah. And there are yes. different, um, there are different protocols in place now, shall we say. Yes, exactly. Um, so I don't, I don't know what this is going to look like. It was the videos that he released uh, this week on Tuesday were hilarious in a sense, right? Like the the cutting in the sand and all that. Like, I, I mean, it's good to see, right? It's it's good to see him doing anything. Yeah. It's good to see him doing anything football related. He looked explosive. It's he wasn't doing anything really in relation to other human beings. So like like who knows? They weren't. You know, it wasn't in game stuff, but it was super encouraging. It was encouraging. I like that you mentioned when they came back to what they were, because in, and I touch on this in the article, there are sets of studies that have percentages for return to sport, but there's a separate set of data for return to previous level of participation. Mm. And those are two different things. Is some guy going to make the roster and play? Yeah, a hundred percent. Is he going to be the 2020 touchdown prospect that, you know, some people are forecasting that sure that's hyperbolic and lofty, but like, uh, that's another, like, can you return to being elite? Can you be, can you return to being somebody who was worthy of a second overall draft pick? That's another question. And that's the expectation that we have. And also over the first four weeks of the season, here's the schedule, Denver Broncos, Washington football team. Atlanta Falcons, okay, fine. New Orleans Saints. I, I just do not believe, I'll say it right now, I do not believe that Saquon is going to be fed the ball and given the volume for someone who is being drafted at the place that he is being drafted. At least initially, and we all know that like in season-long redraft, 
what happens over the first month of the season is almost as important, more important, because it's what gets you to the back half of the season. Right, right. So you've got to you've got to keep it. In, I mean, you're really drafting him for the for the possibility of Saquon returning to that like you know ninety catch, two thousand scrimmage yard level, and 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 being that sort of player by perhaps the back half of the season. But you're totally right. You shouldn't shouldn't necessarily expect that in September, and they would probably be unwise to give him more than I I don't know what they'll do. Maybe they'll blow this out of the water, but they would probably be unwise to give him more than say fifteen touches a game in September and and just let him let him ramp up to to something close to 80, 90% of the snaps, but not give that to him right away. It's it's so different position by position in, in football too. Cause like I feel like I feel like when you cover the NBA, it's like one ACL recovery looks a lot like the other because the positions aren't so radically different. But like we see quarterbacks and linemen come back on like sixth month six month timelines from ACL injuries. Like Philip Rivers can tear his ACL and finish a game. But that's just this is not realistic for other players that rely on extreme explosive athleticism like running back and receiver like it's just a much more complicated situation so i'm going to ask you the question before we move on who would you rather draft zeke or saquon yeah that's it's really tough and and i think they belong to the same tier i hope the right answer is saquon my ranks currently say saquon so i'll i'll stick with that i'm coming back around on on like man the offseason fluff pieces on Zeke have been have been pretty pretty powerful right like everybody everybody likes him he he seems to be taking things seriously if if reporting can be believed so I may yet change my mind during camp but right now I've still got Saquon and some of that is just based on uh I know I sound pessimistic pessimistic on Saquon earlier but he's also he's also one of the best college runners I've ever seen and his his rookie season was absolutely mind-blowing like he's he's great when we when we get peak Saquon it's about as good as anybody in the league. It might be better than anybody in the league at his position. So I'm I'm holding on to that hope that w- that we see that guy by October or November. For what it's worth, even though I sounded pessimistic, I will say I compared him to Zeke because I have those two running backs back to back in my rankings. I do have Zeke though at six and Saquon at seven. So very close, just behind Saquon. And you know what? It's June. It can all change. It can all change. But in doing this article. I did move uh, Saquon outside of my top five. Let's talk. Let's let's close the show with a little believe or make believe, okay? And let's kick it off with everybody. I mean, if Jameis Winston isn't one of the most memeable characters in the NFL, <laughs> I don't. Is he playing when he does this stuff? I mean, we just talked about Saquon's video, which was like this hype piece. It was like a like a 1990s music video production. It was gorgeous. Yeah. And then you got Jameis Winston blinking and dodging like there's a fly up in his face, but he got the LASIK, so I don't know what that's about. I mean, are you <laughs> <laughs> there you got you guys just got to go watch it. Um it's incredible. But are you believing or make believing on him as the Saints QB1? Yeah, it's it's just a great video and uh, I I don't know why why Jameis continues to put himself in in these sort of situations and to do it on tape. Um it's like it's like 6 or 8 seconds of a coach swatting at his at his at, at Jameis at the football. Jameis not fumbling to his credit but also not really not really looking downfield in any meaningful way and You're not I, looking anywhere. like it's it's just it's just hilarious. It's it's just a really really nice, I don't know, 6 to 10 seconds. It was fun. I'm not particularly bullish on him as the, but this is such a complicated 
fantasy equation because if Jameis is the starting quarterback for the Saints, and I, you know, I, I just did a podcast the other day with Marcus Grant, and we were talking about the same, the same situation. Um, if like if the Saints took Drew Brees, one of the most accurate and prolific quarterbacks in history, if they took him off the field when they would get inside the twenty yard line. Uh, in, in favor of Taysom Hill, they are sure as hell going to do that with with Jameis Winston, right? Like Jameis, as the starter, is not going to be the full time quarterback. I, I feel I feel pretty confident in saying that. And there are going to be plenty of times when Taysom Hill has the ball in his hands when they get inside the ten. Um, if Taysom Hill wins that job, it's just flat out his job. They're not. They're, you're not running Jameis Winston onto the field to spell Taysom Hill occasionally if 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 Taysom Hill is the starter. So like. For fantasy purposes, like the guy that I've been taking flyers with late in drafts is definitely Taysom because, man, it, like if he wins that job, now we're talking about somebody who can easily finish in any given week, even when he's not good, even when he even when he doesn't pass well, he can finish as a top 10 quarterback. And I just don't think that outcome is there for Jameis because um, he's like because he's going to come off the field too often. But what does that do? I'm thinking you mentioned accurately that this was a complicated fantasy equation. What does that then do for where you rank Alvin Kamara? Uh, yeah, I'm. I, I don't know if I'm. I'm probably low on on Kamara relative to the rest of the industry. Um, like I think I've got him like ten overall right now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't draft him inside the top six, top eight, anything like that. I'm pretty terrified about what we saw. For, and again, this this job may be Winston's predominantly, and if it is. Mm-hmm. Great. That's that's probably good for Alvin. Um, that probably means that he gets another season of of 80 catches, 70 plus catches, something like that. But man, if this if this goes to Taysom Hill, if we see a lot of Taysom Hill this right. year, I mean, the, those first three games last year with Taysom at quarterback, Camaro was targeted six times like he w- he was perfectly on pace to set the single season reception record for a running back. And then and then Hill happened and then he had no shot. Um and that's a huge worry because we know they're not going to give him the ball as a as a rusher 200 times. They've never done it. Like he's going to he's going to end up with about 175 carries and if I don't see a path to him catching 70 balls, like that's going that's going to be really he's a great great player, but that's just not enough workload. No, I think that that's why this question is uh, particularly as you said complicated. And by the way, the beat reporting is not helping provide any clarity. You know, on June 2nd, you've got <laughs> Nick Underhall of NewOrleans.com saying that Winston is not the Saints' quote solidified starter, and then two days later, the Athletics' Larry Holder says that Winston is the quote odds-on favorite to win the starting job. Um, and you know, I mentioned some teams aren't holding on-field OTAs. Well, the Saints are one of them, so you know we we don't have any extra intel there. I think you make a very good point about James. I think Jameis is going to win the job. I think that Sean Payton just loves a damn project is what it comes down to. And I think he understands Taysom Hill's limitations more. Perhaps Winston's Winston's on what a one year prove it. Right. So this is, I I don't think he would have necessarily signed that deal if he didn't think that he was going to see the field in a starting capacity, but you make a good point about, is he going to get pulled off the field or does Peyton think that, you know, he is fixable and he wants a, a reclamation project. Yeah, when we do have clarity on this situation, like if we find out that Taysom Hill is the is the starting quarterback week one, I'm probably going to have Taysom, um, if not in my overall top 12 QBs, he's going to be real close. And if we find out the same about Jameis, I'm still going to have him behind like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm going to have him behind, you know, I'll probably, I'll probably only Sam have him like, Darnold. 
uh, he's like, he's going to be in that range. And that seems crazy to say because he's thrown a Michael Thomas and he's thrown a Camara and he's like, it's a ripe situation and it's Sean Payton and all that. But, um, but I'm probably going to have him in that range. He's going to be in the, he's going to be right around QB 20 for me. I'm not going to be as enthusiastic as I will be if it's Hill. All right. Well, how about David Montgomery? Are we believing or make believing on David Montgomery beating his 2020 numbers of 240 uh, of 247 carries and just over a thousand yards? I totally believe that he can beat the rushing numbers. Like if, if we're only talking about his rushing stats, yes, I think he can, I think he can do that. It's the, the buzz around him and some of the stories around him are really encouraging. Um, I, I, as a bears fan, I love to see it. And we're not, we're not talking about dazzling rushing numbers either. Like he, obviously people remember he took advantage of an incredible layup line of a schedule in the back half of, of last season. And he, and he crushed it. Like he did exactly what you'd want a player to do against a, a, series of friendly mashup matchups. He was great. Um, like overall for his NFL career, he's just been, he's just been, he's been okay. Like his greatest skill I would say is that he's been available. Uh, he's played through some injuries, do- doesn't miss a lot of time. Um, that's all really good. But I mean, you like the numbers, the, the numbers that you just gave, that's just kind of what we expect from a, from a replacement level running back. So if he has improved, if he's improved his speed, explosiveness and all that, that's, it's awesome. Um, I don't think that last year's receiving workload can possibly be there because we get to read Cohen back. We know that Matt Nagy just absolutely loves to, to, you know, he's got, he's got his own little set of plays for Tariq Cohen that is not going to go away. Tariq Cohen's going to get 90, a hundred targets this year. That, that was just a lot of workload that went to Montgomery that, that, I mean, there's no way it's, there's no way it's going to be repeated. Um, as long as Cohen stays on the field for 14, 15 games, he's just going to see a ton of passing work. And and if Montgomery was getting six targets per game last year, it's going to go right back to three. I think it's an interesting conundrum because we know that David Montgomery, you saved, you nailed it, has been mostly available, right? The, the windfall of production has come from volume, not because he has ever been efficient, right? In fact, in 2020, he had a true yards per carry average of 4.0, which was RB 47 for that category. So we know that he's yeah. not a particularly efficient runner, but we know that he's a capable runner. And we've, we're adding Damian Williams. You mentioned we get Tariq Cohen back. In 2019, forget the 2020 numbers, but in 2019, Montgomery averaged 15 carries a game and he caught about one and a half balls a game. And he ended up being the RB25 overall. That was 2019. Right now, he's being drafted as the RB21 overall. This was the same argument I had in favor of Montgomery last year. Like, do we think he can replicate his 2019 numbers? Yeah, I think he can absolutely do mm-hmm. that again. So in relation to ADP, I'll take him where he's going. That's a fine replacement value. And by chance, if he becomes more efficient, if he does happen to increase his speed by 1.5 miles per hour, as this special trainer has like helped him achieve, the, according to reports, then like, great, he's more efficient. He'll be able to make up for the loss in potential touches. Yeah, I I don't mean to suggest that there's no profit available on Montgomery, like for fantasy purposes, because I one thing I was afraid of by the end of last season is that is that people were going to assume that what David Montgomery had just did and and what they had just seen from him in in November and and December was totally projectable into 2021. And oh man, we're gonna we're gonna be drafting this guy in the second round. We're gonna be drafting this mm. guy early in the third round. And that simply hasn't happened. Like 
the 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 fantasy market has been smarter than that. At least the the people who are doing early drafts and best ball drafts and whatnot, we've been smarter than that. Nobody's nobody's paying for what he was in November and December, and that is uh, that is prudent, and uh, nobody should right. Like it was not, right. it was just never going to happen with a healthy Cohen. So I think you're right. If you can get him at, at something close to ADP, if you can get him at, at as RB twenty one, twenty two, something like that, there's. There's definitely room for him to to be an absolute hit on that price. You're definitely not getting Darren Waller that late at all. In fact, <laughs> he is being drafted the 25th overall player according to ADP. So forget the position. He's tight end three according to ADP. So that makes him what, like a late second, early third round pick. Um, are you believing or make-believing that Darren Waller can eclipse his almost 1,200 yards from 2020? Yeah, listen, I, I think he should clearly be a top three fantasy tight end. Um, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on him eclipsing what he did last season because that's a, it's just a huge total for a tight end. Um, we know he's in a great situation. He's clearly the he's clearly the number one receiver there. He's there's no way that he's not going to lead that team in targets if he stays healthy because there's nobody else that you that you're really eager to see with the ball in their hands. Maybe, you know, Henry Ruggs is like a, a lid lifter sort of player. And they just don't, they just don't have anybody who is going to command the kind of target share that Waller does. Waller's going to be great. He's coming off a year that was, that was absolutely spectacular. And we shouldn't set that as the, as the baseline expectation for any player. So if he falls just short of what he did last year, it's still, it. yeah, that he's still probably the tight end two or the tight end three, depending on how healthy Kittle remains, right? Like it's, he's still great. So I don't think he's going to beat what he did last year, and I'm not super enthusiastic about the Raiders, but he's going to be great. I agree 100% with you. Like, in all of the volume-based metrics that matter, he was tight end one. But more importantly, he was top three in all of the efficiency stats. So completed air yards, yards per route run, yards after catch. Like, even if his – I don't think that his – volume or his target share is going to dwindle but even if he does even if it does we know that he has the skill to make up for any potential lack or to just leave it steady and when you're looking at a position like tight end that is so gross and so volatile you (laughs) like the tight end six is like oh my gosh four catches and 50 yards hooray you know like you're going you are drafting for the ceiling here and he's going to i think unless he gets hurt knock on wood um, going to deliver on that ceiling. So the yardage total, I'm with you. Like, I don't know if he's going to clear 1,200 yards, but another 100 catches, yeah, I, I definitely think so. Yeah, I, I I fully agree. I mean, he's. I don't have a bad thing to say about him, and I actually think, like, you want to take Darren Waller in round two? I, I get it. I'll, I'll yeah. fully sign off. There was also a report that Sammy Watkins was the best receiver at uh, Ravens minicamp. You believe in or make believe in on that. <laughs> I love I love that you didn't even want to touch this story. Um I, yeah, like I just thought it was kind of fun. I think it's a I think it's a fun collection of receivers that that Baltimore has given uh Lamar Jackson, right? Um guys that are just great downfield threats. And listen, we might get we might get eight games, we might get 10 games, 12 games from Sammy Watkins. Health is definitely a concern here. Sammy Watkins is actually not an old player yet. Like, like it's crazy, but true. He's like, he's like, he's like 28 years old or something like that. Like he's not, he's not even necessarily on the downslope of his career. He's been a thousand yard receiver. I don't think he's going to be a thousand yard receiver again. I don't, I don't think by the end of the season, we're going to, we're probably going to look at this receiving core and it's going to be like three or four guys with super similar numbers in terms of catches and yards. Like, I don't think there's a thousand yard receiver here. 
I think I think Bateman and and perhaps Watkins and certainly Brown can all finish with like 750 to 850 uh, and, and right around 60, maybe not 60 catches, 50 plus catches, because uh, there's just not going to be a lot of pass volume there. And, and they're going to be separated by touchdowns. Uh, and, and that's what it's going to come down to. I don't think there's a ton of separation between these guys right now. I think Bateman is somebody that we're going to be really into long term. But I like I don't think it's crazy to think that Sammy Watkins can challenge for like the yardage lead on this team. Andy. First of all, he just turned 28 on June 14th, which makes super sense because he's such a Gemini. He hasn't played (laughs) a full 16-game season since his rookie year in 2014. That was before I even worked at Yahoo. Like, that was a minute and some change ago. The last time he went over the... I agree with you about almost everything, but like you think he could be the yardage leader when the last time he had a hundred yard game was week one of 2019 on the Chiefs and versus the Jaguars? Like he couldn't even do that on one of the most prolific offenses in the league. He's going to do that on the Ravens? Well, uh, you know, to, to be fair, I don't, I don't know that anybody on this team gets 900 yards. Like, I don't I don't think we're going to have a huge yardage total on this team. I, I think we're going to have three guys who finish with really similar yardage totals, all of them kind of in the wide receiver three range. And, you know, that for fantasy purposes, they're going to be separated by touchdowns. And I, I don't like we're not going to know which one is is the Ravens receiver to play in any given week. They're going to be really frustrating to rank, too. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say you're right there, but it's not going to be Sammy Watkins. Like you can remove him from the equation. I <laughs> I just I I mean, I was with him on some of the alien stuff too. Like I I did a deep dive. I understood. <laughs> I was he was on the Rams for a minute, and then when he moved to the Chiefs, I was like, "Okay, okay, but if you can't produce with Patrick Mahomes throwing you the ball, then you definitely can't produce with Lamar Jackson not throwing the ball." I know I, I hear I hear the point you're trying to, I hear the point that you are making you're not even trying to make I hear the point that you are making and the frustrating thing about this offense is the lack of volume and the lack of opportunities given to the pass catchers but I just can't imagine a world in which Sammy Watkins is the one that I don't know spreads like that all of a sudden the C parts and Sammy Watkins becomes an answer to any question <laughs> It's fair. It's fair. I know he hasn't done anything in recent history to to make you feel that he could be a any kind of fantasy factor this year. He's like a he's like a last round best ball guy for me. You know that there's going to be a couple of weeks in which he finishes as like a wide receiver too, right? That's okay. just that's just flat out going to. Ha- I mean, hell, it was happening in Kansas City. It, he he might get at least as many opportunities with Baltimore as he did with Kansas City. It's not necessarily the same quality offense, but it is a, but it is a team that might reasonably average you know, 30 points per game this year. So I'm not, I'm not totally writing him off. That's, that's basically all I'm saying. I don't think that there's, I don't think there's a receiver on this team that is worth actually actively targeting. Um, And I don't think, I I don't think they're going to be separated by a ton in the year end stats. You know, it's June, by the way, when you're on a podcast and each of the hosts is proselytizing Sam Darnold and or Sammy Watkins. <laughs> yeah, how about it? Seriously. Right? Like, we're like, no, 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 We're just no, getting no, these guys. guys out of the way so we don't have to talk about them in July and August when, when drafts are actually happening. Okay, last one. Uh, actually, second to last one. Trey Lance, according to NBC Sports, 
Matt McDaniel, who's the team's offensive coordinator, says the team is giving him every chance to rise up the depth chart this summer. So he's the anti-Justin Fields, the anti-Matt Nagy situation. Are we I'm, – I'm believing on this. I, I feel like why not, oh. especially after we talked about Jim, Jimmy G at the top of the show and, you know, how salty Kyle might be. Yeah, I, I fully buy this. Um, and, and I think, like, the one problematic thing – for Trey Lance is that uh, when he is the quarterback and it's definitely going to happen. Like if it doesn't happen in week one, it's going to happen probably in September. I would, I would imagine unless Jimmy G is just absolutely on fire uh, to open the year. Uh, but I mean, guys who are drafted this early play quarterbacks who were drafted this early end up playing. They don't, they don't get stashed. Um, they're obviously enthusiastic about him. My, my one concern is that uh, it might look like his college offense where he's throwing like, you know, 20 times, 25 times a game um, that that could be real. They could the Niners could just decide we want to run it down your throat and we're barely going to put the ball in the air. And that's going to be that's going to be a problem for the other elements of this passing offense. But Lance can still be great. Right. Like because he's going to be part of that running game, too. Um, I, I think it I think it's absolutely in play. Uh, I, I think it's probably the scenario that Niners fans are going to root for. Um, I would assume I know that in Chicago right now, like it's, you know, but before fields was even the pick when the bears made the trade and hadn't even picked Justin Fields yet, like the city was unanimous in wanting to see Justin Fields start in week one. So I can only imagine what that's going to look like when he has a couple of good preseason games. Um, but as, as you said earlier, it, it, I mean, Andy Dalton is going to be the quarterback in week one and probably in week two. And those are tough games. And there's a there's a clear path to the Bears starting the season like 0-3 and, and we're 1-2. And, and there's just no way that Andy Dalton is going to survive that. So I think we see Fields certainly by October. But I, I think, I mean, I think it's almost likely that we'll see Trey Lance in September. I, I agree with you. Uh, last one, Irv Smith and Tyler Conklin. We're ending with a little peach season. All right. Uh, Zimmer expects <laughs> a bigger role for both of these. Now, just to refresh in case you, you know, checked out on some of the springtime activities over free agency. Kyle Rudolph is no longer on the squad. He's been added to the glut of options in New York. Um, That frees up about 50 targets here. Uh, Kyle Rudolph averaged just over, I believe, three targets a game, but uh, his total is a little bit, it doesn't convey the whole volume because he missed four games over the last end of the season. So 50 targets cleared up here. For what it's worth, in those four games where Kyle Rudolph was absent over the last four weeks of the season, both Conklin and Smith had 15 catches apiece, which is a little bit frustrating. I feel like they might just cancel each other out. Um, but it was Smith who had 183 yards to Conklin's 168. He also had two more, Smith did, two more touchdowns than Conklin, and he ran more routes. So I would say you certainly, you know, the option I would take ahead of Conklin, but this is going to be frustrating. It is going to be frustrating. And this is one of those, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens like during the off season and during OTAs that, that we shouldn't pay a whole lot of attention to. And I, I don't always put a lot of stock into, you know, if a, even if it's informed speculation, when a beat reporter is sort of just speculating on who might start in week one and might not start in week one, like that's, I don't know, it's fine. It's notable, but it's not something that I'm going to take to like my ranks and adjust anything. Right. I don't, I don't care that much about it. We can tune it out and you'll be, you'll be just fine. But this was like, this was, this was Zimmer himself talking about these players. So when, when a coach is who's somebody in a decision-making position in terms of playing time, um, it, it starts to talk about it. We, we really do need to listen and we really do need to 
like I've I've lowered Irv Smith in the ranks. I had a I you know I had some Irv Smith fantasies where he was a where he was a top eight tight end this year. I think he's really gifted. He was he was number two last year at the position, just behind Tunyon in terms of fantasy points per target. Like I think he's good, and I think he probably still retains this. You know, when they get inside the ten yard line role, um, I think Cousins is going to look to him a fair amount, and there's a, there's certainly a path here for him to finish with six to eight touchdowns. But he's but he's clear like Conklin is clearly a factor. Um, he's going to be much more of a factor in terms of playing time than than I wanted him to be. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is kind of that is kind of forced Irv Smith into like that you know Troutman uh, Cole Komet range of of tight ends that you know I I just have to keep him outside of the top ten. And and yeah. I hate it because I think Irv Smith is really talented. It feels like Conklin is just going to eat up the upside that Smith appeared to have. Um, mm-hmm. Smith does have the NFL bloodlines for what it's worth. And obviously the higher draft pedigree, I believe he was a second round pick and Conklin was a fifth round pick. Um, but you're right. Oh, also, I'm just remembering, remember <laughs> like in August of last year when BC Johnson was the team's wide receiver too, ahead of Justin Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if we are talking grain of salt, but I do I do think the fact that Zimmer himself is saying it's not that Smith isn't going to have opportunities. It's that he's not going to have as many because Conklin now will become a thorn in the side of right. um, of, of fantasy managers every week as you're like hoping for like maybe he steals a touchdown or two or maybe he, you know, gets lucky. I think you're right, though, that Smith will probably be the option closer to the end zone and last year's stats would bear that out. But it's just another little annoyance from one Zimmer. Thank you very much. Yep. Nope. Fully agree. Um, there, I, you know, I, again, I had imagined a path for Irv Smith to, to, to see, I don't know, 80, 90 targets this year. And I just don't think it's there. I, mm. I just don't think it's happening. He's going to, if he's going to have a lot of fantasy value, it's going to have to be one of those like Eric Ebron type, you know, ratios of touchdowns to targets. And that's, that's never likely. No, you don't want to chase those either. But what you might want to chase if you're into college talk is the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. And you should absolutely, especially this time of the year, be listening to Post It Up with Chris Haynes for more in-depth conversation from the world of the NBA. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Andy Barons. We will pod again next week. Check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. And uh, we're out. That's something you can believe on. Bye.